fears God, not man, and exercises discretion and strong discernment. If that is your desire this morning, then I would like to echo the words that, that Moses spoke when the people came up to him and said, hey, there are people in the camp that are prophesying, make them stop. And what was Moses' response? He said, are you jealous for my sake? If only the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would pour out his spirit upon them. It is my wish that you all were prophets, that you all were angels and messengers for God. Because I believe, brothers and sisters, I believe that we are entering into a time that is making it extremely difficult to share the word of God. I was asked when I came here to share a little bit of story um, about my experience of even getting involved in ministry. I haven't actually spoken um, about my testimony in quite a little bit of time, um, haven't shared it in a while, and uh, when it was asked of me, I said, you know what, this morning's message might fit with a little bit of those components. So I'll share with you a little bit of a story um, because I really have one goal with sharing this message with you this morning, and it's really to inspire you that every single person in this room, every single person needs to be involved in ministry. Every person. There is no one in this room that should sit by passively. You need to get involved in ministry. All hands are needed on deck at this moment. I come from a little town in Paradise, California. In fact, uh, I see some of my fellow Paradisians in the room, in here. There's actually a couple that uh, have been here actually since the very first time I ever spoke in front of an audience. The Langs have uh, come from Paradise, and uh, they were there the first time. I think we spoke for three hours. Yeah, it was, uh, it was my first time never ever being able to speak in front of an audience before, and hopefully I won't go three hours. I'll try to keep it under two and a half today. But I'll tell you what, it was a very interesting childhood I grew up in, being from this little town of Paradise. I grew up in a very typical Adventist home. Um, like a lot of you know, Adventists, I'm third, fourth generation. My grandparents were huge in the mission field. Um, my mother's parents and grandparents were big in, in um, Japan and helping to bring Adventism into Japan. In fact, a lot of the schools in the Philippines have my, my grandparents and great-grandparents' names on those schools. And so I come from this long line of Adventism, and my parents, bless their heart, they were a very sweet, uh, uh, innocent parents that raised my brothers and I with no television and no video games. Uh, most of my childhood, I spent outside. I did not spend indoors like the rest of, uh, of, of my colleagues and friends. Of course, I knew what movies were. You'd go over to your friend's house and watch them, right? <laughs> so I was exposed to, in fact, the very first movie I ever saw in the theater was Rambo 3. Yeah, not really your first movie you should be exposed to. But I'll tell you what. Um, I had a fascination. My brother and I had a fascination with filmmaking. My father had an 8 millimeter film camera, and he would buy my brother and I film. 
And we would go out and we would film little stories with our brothers and, and uh, our neighborhood kids. And it was kind of just a, a passion of ours. It grew into um, something that when I got into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. And I went to one of our Adventist schools and they offered a film studies program. And I said, hey, I like that. And all of a sudden, it found out that, hey, Harrison Ford's brother was going to be one of the teachers. Great, someone famous is going to teach at our school. So I signed up for the classes. And real fast, we were, got an opportunity to watch a couple films being made in San Francisco. And uh, that bit me, and I was sold for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. My parents were big proponents on the spirit of prophecy, um, I read a lot of the Spirit of Prophecy growing up. I read the Conflict of the Ages series in high school. I knew what the great controversy was. I knew the information. I want to make a distinguishment about that. So I understood what the war between Christ and Satan was all about, but I'll tell you what, when I got into college, I was unprepared for what the world was starting to replace in my mind. I went, of course, trying to make up for lost time. Maybe some of you have had this experience. I would go to the, the movie store. Maybe some of you don't remember, but there used to be a DVD store that you would you know, go and rent these little plastic things. And when I would come home, I would rent stacks of movies and I would just try to gobble up because I wanted to make them. So I would watch and pay attention how they were making them. And when I would go to the theater on the weekend, I was one of those people that would buy one ticket and see six films. You ever met anybody that does that? <laughs> I was trying to make up for lost time, but what I was really doing was I was replacing the things of God with the things of the world. And I didn't realize I was doing that. And all of a sudden, I got the opportunity to uh, leave college and actually go down to Hollywood and enter into the, the business. I didn't know anyone but one person. She was an actress, still is an actress today. I went and stayed with her, and I saw how people treated her. And uh, even though I had technically understood how to make a film, I kind of said, wow, I want to do that. I want to get with an agent, and I want to take those kind of classes. So that's what I did. I jumped into the acting side of the business. Thank goodness I was a terrible actor. Never booked anything significant. But real quick, within months, I lost my way. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped going to church. I started doing drugs. I started hanging out at parties. And I started saying, if this is all the world has to offer, then I want to chase all the things in the world that you think would make you happy. And that's what I thought I did. And time and time again, I chased women, money, fame, houses, you name it, I went after it, and I found a broken road every single time. And it wasn't until about 10 years into this experience that my, I have an older brother that's a year older than I am, and uh, he uh, invited me to come back to his 10-year high school reunion, which was at an Adventist school. I hadn't been around Adventists in about 10 years, completely walked away from the church. And so he said, why don't you come back and, uh, you know, share your, uh, share your weekend with me and let's go back to our old hometown up in paradise and we can rekindle, you know, some of the old spots that we used to visit. And of course I said, no, I don't, I, that's not for me. I don't want that. But he convinced me and I ended up going anyway. And on that weekend, I had a transformational experience where God was not going to let me live the life that I was choosing to live. He was going to knock on the door of my heart. And I had a, a kid come up to me. He was a pastor's kid, 
first to try drugs, first to get kicked out of school. He was a mess. And here he was in his right mind in a suit, and he came up to me at the school, and he said, Scotty, I have a question for you. How's your relationship with Jesus? And I just kind of went, are you kidding me? Like, how did God get a hold of your heart? And so he invited me over to his house that afternoon, and I went over there very curious. When you see someone's life truly transformed, there's something attractive about that, and I wanted to know, how did God get a hold of this person's heart here? So I went over to the house, and he shared Bible texts with me and prayed, and, and I had a supernatural experience that I went home, and I went, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm this kid from paradise of California from all places. I, I read the great controversy. I know there's a war between Christ and Satan. Here I'm totally on drugs, have no care of God whatsoever. If Jesus came tonight, I would be lost. And that realization was enough for me to go, God, show me you. There was never a point where I said he doesn't exist. I knew he existed, but I said, Lord, show me. You ever prayed that prayer? He showed up so mightily in my life. It was one experience after another. But I'll tell you what, as I was starting to get my life back with, with God, I knew enough to say, okay, I need to get away from this party lifestyle. I need to get away from, from hanging out with certain people. And I replaced all my friends. I even moved. I changed locations. And all of a sudden, the devil's watching this going, oh, you want away from this lifestyle, do you? He sent a couple drug dealers that moved in the apartment right below me. And this friend of mine from Northern California came down and stayed with me for a little bit, and we started having Bible studies. I started getting my life back together. But all of a sudden, my friend started going over to these drug dealers' houses, and he would, he would witness to them. And it was really amazing. At first, I was like, wow, this is truly amazing. We're going to transform some drug dealers. I mean, they, he would come back into my house, and he would say, it's the most amazing thing. These guys were like a pharmacy. You would go into their closet, and I mean, it was just wall-to-wall -wall stuff, and they would be cutting up mounds of cocaine on the table, and he'd be sitting there telling them about the three angels' message in Jesus. But then he started coming home later and later at night. And then I started kind of getting back into that lifestyle, and I was losing my grip on God, and I was praying, Lord, I've prayed for you, and the only person that you send me is so far going back into that lifestyle. Help, I'm sinking, and I need your help. And you know what? God sent me an angel. She was going to school here at Loma Linda University. She was in the dental hygiene program, and she was actually from Paradise, and she was friends with my friend and myself, and she came out to visit one day, um, and I started hitting it off with her, and I ended up starting dating her. And my first time ever coming back to church was here in Loma Linda. And this is really the place that God got a hold of my heart. And I would go back out to Hollywood and I would live like a rock star and then I would come out here and live like a good little Adventist that I knew I could. And then I would live in both of these worlds until I finally said, Lord, I know you are the God of changed hearts and I know you can change my heart. Sat my girlfriend down at the time and I said, listen, I'm addicted to this and this and this and I'm doing this and this and this behind your back and I know God can change me. And I stand here sober today and it's been that many years there's nothing that you guys can get yourself involved in that god cannot get you out of but the reason i share that story with you this morning 
is because somebody had the courage to open his mouth to me. Somebody had the courage. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do now? I don't know how to do anything for you. Here I have selfishly served my own desires. I have chased money and I made great money. I worked in television. I was being groomed for a supervising, technical supervising position. I was in a position to have an incredible, well-paid life. And when I got married, I'm married to that girl that was, that was the dental hygienist out here. In my first year of marriage, I remember coming home from my job in television, and I said, no more do I want to serve this world. I cannot serve two masters anymore. And I told my wife, I quit my job. And I'm surprised she didn't freak out. (laughs) She said, I believe you're following what God wants you to do. I had no idea what God had in store for me. But I prayed, Lord, I'll do anything that you want. What do you want? And all of a sudden, my phone rings, and I get an offer from the youth pastor in paradise that said, hey, why don't you come and give a talk at a youth rally? Maybe you can show a movie and talk about God. He was very pro movies. As as, as so was I. That was what I, I would have never said anything negative towards movies. That's how I made my money. But I prayed a really important prayer. Lord, not as I will, as you will. I have nothing to say to these people but you do. What do you want me to say? And when I prayed that prayer, God literally pulled the wool off my eyes. I was a big movie fan. I collected movies. And one of the movies that I, that I collected was this movie called Fight Club. It was with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. And in the middle of the movie, there was a scene where Brad Pitt slaps Edward Norton. He says, you have to consider the possibility that God does not like you. In fact, God hates you. We don't need God. We don't need salvation. We don't need redemption. We're the children of the other side. So be it. And I put it on pause and I said, how is that possible that I, an Adventist kid that understands the war between Christ and Satan, watched this movie so many times and I didn't recognize what was being told to me? And that was what really started our ministry. Never did I think or dream that I would ever preach in front of a church. I mean, trust me, I am the most least likely person to stand in front of you with my Bible and tell you anything about the things of God. But I'll tell you what, if you have a willing heart, God can transform your heart in such a way that you cannot keep quiet. I share with you that story because I want to read something to you that comes from the Desire of Ages. Listen to this. No, now sin has marred God's perfect work, yet the handwriting remains. Even now, all created things declare of the glory of his excellence. There is nothing save the selfishness of the heart of man that lives unto itself. No bird that cleaves to the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. There is no leaf of the forest and no lowly blade of the grass, but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub and leaf that pours forth the element of life without which neither man nor animal could live, a man and animal in turn minister to the life of the tree and shrub and leaf. The flowers breathe the fragrance and unfold their beauty in blessing the wor- to the world. The sun sheds its light to be gladdened by, thousands, uh, by a thousand worlds. The ocean itself is a source of our spring and fountains and it receives the stream- streams from every land, but it takes to give 
and the, and the mists ascend from its bosom and fall in showers of water uh, that water the earth that it may bring forth the, f- the bud. Did you realize that, that there is nothing on the face of this planet, not even the, the plants outside that do not have a ministry? I hope you hear me this morning. There is no one of us that does not live unto its, ourselves. In fact, that, that comes from the Bible. But I want you to be inspired this morning. You say, but the animals, they're dangerous. Don't they do terrible things? Maybe you've seen one of these videos floating around the internet. Would you do this, anyone? I would do this in a heartbeat. I was actually in South Africa and they asked me if I wanted to swim with the sharks and I didn't even think twice. I said, absolutely, where's the suit? (laughs) I didn't get a chance to do it. But would you look at this? He is petting these sharks like they are a dog. Do you realize that the fingerprint of God is in all of his creation? I often wonder... What would it really be like in heaven? What are these animals really going to be like? Maybe you've seen this floating around the internet. This poor elephant had fallen into this ditch. And so they had this excavator here. And they end up helping the elephant out of this ditch. Now, I want you to recognize something very beautiful about this experience. I, I have such a passion for animals. I want you to notice after he helps him out of this ditch and this elephant gets up, it easily is scared. It could easily run away and it starts to, and then it turns around and says, I want to thank the thing that helped me out of the ditch. Do you recognize everything on this planet is meant to work together to bless each other? I saw this pop up on my, my, one of my social media feeds the other day. A diver was diving, and all of a sudden, a, a seal came over and wanted a hug. <laughs> How amazing is that? <laughs> a wild animal sees this thing in the ground, water and just goes, I want to hug that thing. <laughs> that is amazing. Everything has a ministry. The verse I wanted to read to you is Romans 14, 7, for none of us liveth unto himself, and no man dieth to himself. Everything has a ministry. I want to submit to you this morning. We're caught in an information war. In fact, people often ask, what do you do for a living? You know what I do? I play psychological warfare for a living. What I'm doing is I am putting messages out into the world, challenging people's world's views. I am literally trying to write some of the misinformation that is out there. And aren't we caught in a world of misinformation? Right? We talked a little bit about this last night. It is absolutely crazy to me, and I'm not a doctor, so I don't really have any bone to pick either way with anything, but it's very interesting to me that people in the same profession can have such polar opposite views of the same thing. That's fascinating to me. But we are caught in an information war. But you know what? It's been that way since the beginning. In fact, since the beginning, 
we have literally been caught in an information war. You know, when I asked the question earlier, how many of you are angels? Listen to what the pen of inspiration says in angels and their nature and their ministry. Page 26. The original word both in Hebrew and Greek means messenger and is so translated in Matthew 11.10. We learn from the scriptures that it is the office of the angels to oversee the works of God especially the cause of God in this earth to watch over his children, to minister to their wants, to defend them from their adversary, the devil. And there is an innumerable company of angels. Some of them are always before the throne of God at his every command. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that their work is so intertwined with God's desire to save you that they're waiting around just going, give me the command, give me the command. I just want to go down there and I want to help these people. And they're so involved in that. Many of you guys are involved in finishing up your final years of what you're going to do in your career. I'd like to challenge you for a second. How many of you got a job just to sort of make it through uh, medical school or high school or something? Maybe you worked at Taco Bell or something. Maybe that's a bad example in this room. (laughs) But maybe you had a job at something that you weren't wanting to necessarily do forever, but you did it just as a means to get by. How many of you did that? Okay, almost everyone in the room. What if you are in a working interview for the career of the rest of your eternity right now. Hmm. What if what you are doing right now is a means to the end, but what you're going to do is like what the angels are doing in heaven, literally involved in the work of God. I want to share something with you this morning. The message I really want to share you is how God passes information I've been asked the question before. We know what Jesus does. We know what his function is. We, in fact, we talk of Jesus a lot. Question for you, what does God do? God the Father. What's his job? Hmm. You ever thought of that? It's real easy to answer what Jesus does, but when we sit there and we think about what is actually the function of God the Father, what's he doing? And, you know, I've asked this to young people all the time, and they go, well, he's like the brains of the operation, Right? He's the like master planner of all this stuff, right? Would that be a correct assumption to be able to say that? Yes. And if you've read a lot of Spirit of Prophecy, how does the rest of the angels and anyone else know what God is doing or wants them to do? There's a direct line of how that information is disseminated into the population. Does that make sense? So I'm going to kind of show you a little bit of that message or that line. We know in Numbers 7, 89, when Moses had gone into the tabernacle in the congregation to speak with him, and when he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from afar off or from off of the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony between the two cherubims, and he spoke to them. You know, I love it that God is always involving his creation. I just love it that when he wants to do something and share something, it's like he's putting his creation front and center and he's working through them. This is just a little window into how God actually works. So we have these cherubim on the top of the ark 
Um, in fact, I think if, it, if I have it correctly, they were standing on the side, right? And their wings were touching. Is that how it really was? Any of you scholars in the room? I think it was a large angel that was standing there. Anyway, mute point. But it's very interesting to me that these cherubim, they have a specific function in heaven. We as Adventists, we talk about Michael the archangel. Jude 1.9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel is a point of contention with a lot of our other Christian brothers. And uh, whenever we mention this in any of our videos, we get a lot of hate comments and people just don't quite fully understand this one. But you know, here's how I see it. How does God, who is this mist thing that wants to be with his creation, how does he interact with them? through this expressed image of God, right? That's through Jesus. So Jesus' interaction with God and in between the angels, he is described as Michael the archangel. He's the one that literally is kind of that in-between. He's always been that in-between. He's always been that, how do we understand God? How do we connect with God? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Did you know that when Jesus was on this earth, that it was spoken of him that he was a prophet? Luke 24.19 says, And he said unto them, What things they, are concerning, uh, uh, they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all of the people. Remember, a prophet is someone who is literally doing the bidding of God, right? Trying to share a message, trying to turn people's hearts back to God. So the Bible describing Jesus' function as a prophet, did you know that... Lucifer was also described as a prophet. Did you know that? Did you know that the Bible describes him? Listen to this, Isaiah 9.15. The ancient and honorable, and this is the same chapter that talks about the prince of peace, the mighty counselor, right? That's Jesus, the ancient and honorable. He is the head, the prophet that teacheth lies. He is the tail. You know, it's interesting because the Bible does talk about false prophets a lot. In this information war, what are they actually sharing? Revelation 12, 3-4 says, And he appeared to them another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and having crowns upon his head, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down to earth. Whose tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven? That was Satan's drawing the third of the angels away from God. You know, when we kind of depict the war in heaven with swords and they were actually going to battle and fighting against it, I believe it was a psychological war. I believe that what they were actually fighting was an information war. When you think of Adam and Eve and Eve getting deceived at the tree, that was an information war. 
God gave her all the tools, information-wise. There will be a being that has caused a war in heaven, and he will at some point come to you and try to win your affection over. Those things were detailed to Adam and Eve, and yet she did not recognize it when it happened. So this is one thing that is described about Lucifer when he was in heaven. Ezekiel 28, 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. That little angel that's over the Ark of the Covenant, it describes him as anointed. And I have set thee so, which thou was on the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You know what's interesting to me? Somebody pointed this out to me the other day. When uh, it describes this holy mountain of God, it describes it as a mountain, something that's high. In fact, when, um, when it's talked about um, uh, looking up at the throne of God and seeing these stones, right, that there is some kind of thing about God being on a mountain. When God is on the top of Mount Sinai and relaying his information, I think it's really interesting that when Jesus comes down and he gives his headlining sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mountain. What is this that God is trying to teach us? What is this? You see, Satan was anointed. What does that mean to be anointed? If you look around the world and you see, in fact, let me give you the definition of what, what an, an anointing is. In 1 Samuel 10, um, verses 1, it says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it out upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When something was anointed, it was a special position that you were literally, you had a special office for this thing. That covering cherub that Satan was, he had a special office. He was next to God. So follow this logic here. As God brings Jesus into his, um, his council, then Jesus walks out of the council, and what does he do? He turns to his angel, that is that covering cherub angel, and he tells him the information. What does that covering cherub then do? He turns to the other angel and tells him the information. What does that angel do? That angel goes out and tells all the other angels, what are those angels supposed to do? Those angels are supposed to go out into the universe and to tell the creations that God has made what God is like. Have you ever wondered why Satan is an artist? Do you know that? When you look at the design of evil that he has and how easy it is to get into evil and the just, just malicious way that he designs things that are just of this satanic order, he is an artist of evil. Do you know why he's like that? Because God created him and anointed him with an artistry to lead people to God. He's an artist. His specific gift was to literally frame God's world in a palatable and understanding way so that the rest of God's creation would then know what God is like. He was a prophet. He was... His specific function and job was to tell the creation what God is like. And therefore, that's why it was so damaging when he broke that. 
all of it designed to point people back to Jesus and back to God. And you know what? He said, I'm not going to point people back to Jesus. I don't want to tell them to aim at him. He broke that chain of command. That, that chain of command. And you know what I find is really interesting? When you study out the, what the Hebrews did, we often describe them as these special people that God gave this special message to. But what was the purpose that God was giving that special message to those people? What was their purpose? So they could go give it to the world. It was never to hold on to it. It was never to keep it inside. In fact, they were only the conduit between God and going out and reaching this dying world. They were to be the prophets and the angels. And you know what they did? I don't even want to associate with them. I don't want to, I can't eat with this person. I can't talk with this person. They are not of my kind. You know, brothers and sisters, we run the danger. We run the danger of keeping to ourselves. We run the danger of preaching to ourselves and not, not doing what God intended us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God at various times um, and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And has these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed heir of all, of, of all things, whom through he has also made the worlds. You know, I think it's an awesome thing that God is doing. How he doesn't just pass the information and say, you know what, you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my people tell you how I am and how I want and what I, what I like. God himself comes down and says, I'm going to demonstrate it for you and I'm going to tell you what God is like. Isn't that wonderful? It's beautiful. And he comes down, and he even, he even uh, uh, succumbs to this terrible, terrible death. You know, I was listening to um, a sermon that Ty Gibson gave one time, and he, he, he said something that really stuck with me. He he'd brought up all these superheroes, and I was like, oh no, where's he going with this? He's bringing up all these superheroes. And he said, you know what? In all these cultures around the world, there is a superhero that is literally going to be stronger than the next superhero. That's what they're all about. And in fact, in all of our movies and all of our literature and all of our historical accounts from Greece and Rome and Egypt and all this, it's the same story that's repeated over and over again. Whoever has more power and more might is literally the one that is the greatest God. And then there's Jesus. The greatest God that humbles himself and comes down and gives up his life to save you and I. That fact alone that it's so different than what we can even mentally come up with as the human race is the proof that it is true. Isn't that truth? The fact that we couldn't even think something up like that is proof that it is true. Listen to this. No his, the history of no one of the disciples better illustrates Christ's method of training than does that of Peter. Bold, aggressive, self-confident, quick to perceive, forward to act, prompt in retaliation. Is that describing anyone in this room? And no, not your neighbor. Right? How come all of us identify with Peter more than 
some of the other disciples sometimes. He was so fired up. Yes, I'm going to go for it, God. I'm, I'm going all the way to, to, to death with you. And he's the first, first one to just reject him. What, what lesson can we learn? Yet generous and forgiving, Peter often erred and often received proof, patiently discriminating love. The Savior dwelt with his impetus disciple, seeking to check his self-confidence and teach him humility, obedience, and trust. I think Peter is a great example of sometimes how zealous we are for the, for the gospel, quick to rush in, not quick to, to think about the words that we're saying. I'm sharing this with you because there is some counsel to our church. Listen to this. In our mingling in societies and families and whatever relationships we have where we are placed, either limited or extended, there are ways that we may acknowledge our Lord and many which we may deny him. We may be deny him in words, by speaking evil of others, by foolish talking, by jesting and joking, idle and unkind words, by prevaricating, by speaking contrary to the truth, in words we may confess that Christ is not in us. You know what's interesting? You have a ministry whether you like it or not. In fact, the very way that you conduct yourself, the very way that you dress, the very way that you have conversations at work, the very way that you carry yourself is a ministry to the world who is looking on and saying, do you really believe the words that, are, that you're professing to say out of your mouth? In our character, we may deny him by loving ease and shunning the duties and burdens of life, which someone must bear if we do not. And by loving sinful pleasure, we may also deny Christ by pride of dress and conformity to the world or by uncourteous behavior. We may deny him by loving our own opinions and by seeking to maintain and justify self. You know, as I've watched this battle ensue upon this whole idea of what is medically safe and what is not medically safe. I have colleagues and, and ministry friends that I hugely respect and seen some of the things that they've put out and it breaks my heart. This is the hill we're going to die on? This is the hill? We should be united more than ever before. It's the devil's aim to get in between us and, and divide and conquer. And here we see the division in our own ranks. We may deny him simply by our lifestyle. You know, Satan thought that he would have the whole world on his side. Today the enemy is still playing this game of life with everyone. He seeks to bring in division, uh, dissension and division, but if we are partakers of the divine nature, we will stand united, whole. Let us not think that our churches can enjoy God's blessing while in a state of disunion. That's a harsh statement to hear. In this world, we may be representatives of Christ. He has called us to glory and virtue. And as he represented the Father, so we are to represent him to the world. For in representing him, we are representing the Father, who is in every place to help where help is needed. 
We have a great work to perform for the master after Jesus has sacrificed so much in our behalf, giving us his life for our salvation. Shall we, by our course of action, make him ashamed of us? Those are some heavy words for us today. You know, criticism is, is a very interesting thing. And I'll be honest, when I came back into the church, I came in guns blazing. Anybody else do that? You walk out, you come in, and it's just like I got, I got two AK-47s on my hip. And I'm going to arm myself with the truth, and if you're not preaching that truth, then I'm firing away. And over the years, I have softened my approach. Maybe if you've never heard of our ministry before, I am extremely hard on superheroes. Why? Because most of my work is with the youth of our church. And I have been to the GYCs. I have been to the more conservative movements where everyone looks like they walked off an Ellen White set. And I've literally said, who here is watching Batman? And 90% of the hands go up. I just want you to know we're no different in some certain respects. And I had a gentleman who called our ministry up one time. And he said, I have a YouTube channel where I discuss comic books, and I came across one of your comic book documentaries, and I would love it if you would come onto my channel and discuss your point of view of that. And I went, interesting. And so I, Mikey, uh, one of the other guys that works with me, we both you know, started talking about it, and we both were gonna plan to go onto this website, and uh, I would tell you, I was, I was prepared. I got all my slides up. I'm going to go in there guns blazing and this guy, I'm going to tear his logic apart to what I believe superheroes are just Greek and Roman gods and we should have nothing to do with them. And so he asked me, why don't you share with me um, how you got involved in ministry? And so I told him. I started telling him I was involved in Hollywood and I was a big movie fan. In fact, superheroes were one of my favorite films. And when God got a hold of my heart, I went into this big old long story about how God had transformed my heart. And he went around the room and he talked with, with Mikey, one of the other guys that works with us. And then it got to him. And uh, mind you, he's wearing a Spider-Man hat. He has a Spider-Man shirt. And he said, let me tell you a story. He said, when I was in high school, or when I was two months old, I had a stroke. And it left me um, um, with little movement on this side of my body. And he showed me his arm, and he had a withered hand. And he said, ever since I grew up, I've been kicked, I've been beaten, I have been ousted by all of my friends. In high school, I was thrown out of a two-story building, and I was sick and tired of living a life that nobody wanted me. They called me gimpy. They called me all sorts of names, and I was ready to commit suicide. And he had a Spider-Man comic open on his table the day that he was going to commit suicide. And he was literally sitting there contemplating how he was going to do it, and he was not a religious person, and he said, if there is a God, then you need to show me a reason why I shouldn't commit suicide. And he opened up his Spider-Man comic, and he saw Jesus in the Spider-Man comic. I'll, I'll tell you, I did this exact thing that you guys are doing right here. My world just went like this. And it was like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just said, listen, just listen. And I was listening to him talk. And he was saying, listen, I came across your ministry and I agree with what you're saying, but I just want to share with you 
my ministry. And he said, I take these comic book ideas and I go into comic conventions and I reach out to kids that are immersed in this thing that would never click on your video. They would, ne- if you were there with a suit and a tie or you put a Bible text on the screen, they would not click on your video. And he goes, I'm able to open them up in their language and show them that there's a God that loves them. And I just went, Lord, rebuke me. He has a ministry that I would never have chosen. If some young person came up to me and said, I want a ministry that I'm going to run around and tell people through using comic books about the stories of Jesus, I would have just said, no, that's not of God. And God said, don't do that. Don't do that. Because he's reaching people that you would never, ever reach. And you know what? I became friends with him. He actually donates money to our ministry. He comes on every once in a while. He's, he's just a great guy. He has a real heart for ministry. And he, you know what? He's even reading the great controversy and wants to know more about the Seventh-day Adventist belief. How amazing is that? What if I would have gone in there and just said, nope, you have it wrong? I share that with you because, brothers and sisters, I have seen criticism in our church like there is no tomorrow. I was actually recently, this last year, put on the cover of a, of a video. I was with Stephen Bohr. Do you know who that is? I at least shared the space with Stephen Bohr. But it was how, how Scotty Meyer from Little Light Studios and Stephen Bohr take money from Satan on their YouTube page. So I watched the video. I thought it was interesting (laughs) because I have ads on my video that all of a sudden I was taking Satan's money. And you know what? This pastor could have called me and said, why do you have ads on your videos? To which I would have replied, most of the content that I'm talking about has Hollywood images and I cannot choose whether or not there's ads on there because if I want people to see it, I have to allow them to put ads on my thing. I don't get that money. And that would have been cleared up like that. But instead, he made a whole video on how I'm taking Satan's money. I reached out to him and just said, Brother, I, I love you, but call me. Let's talk about it. Of course, I got no phone call. Don't be like that. Be careful. Be careful when you criticize another ministry because God is in the business of saving people. If there is error, then bring that error to that person and say, would you consider, look at what the Bible says here. You said this, what do you think about that? That would be an appropriate response. Listen to what the spent pen of inspiration says. We deny him by having our selfish spirit, criticizing our brethren. We deny him by seeking to be first, seeking to honor one another. We may deny Christ in our outward appearance by gratifying a proud heart, lifting up the soul into vanity by a courteous behavior. You know, um, I want to share with you a biblical story on somebody criticizing. I know we're approaching the end here and I'm getting near the end. I won't go three hours, I promise. The story comes from Numbers, and this is when Miriam and Aaron begin to grumble against Moses uh, because he has a Cushite uh, wife. 
And for he married the Cushite, the Lord had, uh, has the, uh, this is what they said, the Lord has spoken through Moses, or, or has the Lord only spoken through Moses, they said? Hasn't he also spoken through us? You know, that's also something we get ourselves in trouble, right? Wow, God's worked through all these other people, right? Hasn't he kind of worked through us as well? And when the Lord heard this, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses and Ariam and Miriam, Come out to the tent out of the meeting, all three of you. Now, would you be knocking in your boots or what? If it was like, you three in the tent now. Uh, yes, Lord, <laughs> be right there. <laughs> My children do this. I try to intimidate them every once in a while, right? So the three of them went out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. Anytime God says that to you, your ears should perk up. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions and I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses, for he is faithful in all my house. And with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why not are you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then the anger of the Lord burned up and he left. Now, would you be freaking out if you were there talking with God and he says something like that to you and then disappears? Yes, I would be absolutely. But should we not have that same fear of respecting God's workers? Even if we disagree with them, you know, I've worked in this ministry life long enough. I'll tell you what, and I, and I, and I don't say this to try to ruin any of your guys' things, but I've sat on boards with our, with our church's great uh, uh, thing. I've been behind some doors, and I'll tell you what, sometimes you would lose heart to even want to work for our church when you see it from the inside. Lord, have mercy on our church. But we can't do that. We can't just tear each other down. We need unity more than any other time right now. I share these things with you guys in closing because I've noticed something in the ministry world. I saw something that came um, up in, uh, in a feed on, on somebody's social media in our office, and it was one of the guys had, um, uh, he was an MMA fighter. Trust me, I'm not advocating MMA. He had a headband on that said John 3.16. And what they were commenting in the social media is this particular MMA fighter had just won a large fight. And when he was given the microphone, he turned around, he wasn't from the United States, and he looked over into the audience and he said, America, why have you forgotten God? Why have you forgotten the most important person in the universe? You need to follow God. You need to do this, right? And I'm sitting there going, wow, an MMA fighter. He just beat the living tarnation out of somebody. <laughs> With John 3.16, for God so loved these people that he gave his only begotten life. And here he is there trying to preach the Bible. Do you know what? I would have looked at that in the beginning and said, that's just ridiculous. But the commissioner of the MMA world, he got on to the interview, and you know what he said straight to the cameras? Nobody wants to hear your thoughts on God. You just won the greatest fight in your life. Keep it to yourself, and you can believe whatever you want to believe, 
but don't use this platform to share it with people. You know, my kids, Sabbath school, this week, they're studying the story of Cornelius. And as I was reading that story to my kids, here Cornelius, a centurion, a heathen, someone that is not even of the fold of God in the, in the respect that the Hebrews would have thought, is following after God and God shows up to him. The angel of the Lord, it says, showed up to him and said, you need to seek out this person, Peter. He's over by the sea at the Tanner's house, right? You know what I find is interesting about that? God shows up and tells him, go find this other person that's going to tell you what God is like. But he just showed up to like talk with you. Why didn't God just tell you? Why did he send you to someone else to tell you? If he went through the effort to come and meet with you, why wouldn't he just say it to you straight out? And it's very interesting, that whole experience, because God is working with many people, not just Cornelius. You see, Peter, Peter's in the vision where he sees the sheet coming down and and God gives him that vision about not calling the, the things unclean that he deems clean. And so Peter goes after and he brings a bunch of other guys with him because he knows he shouldn't be going under this guy's roof. And Cornelius is so excited that Peter says he's going to come over to his house that he invites all of his friends, cooks a meal, his family, his loved ones. And the second that Peter comes in, he's got all of his friends there ready to hear his message. Peter walks in. You know what the first thing out of Peter's mouth was? You know, it's not really lawful for me to be under your roof. Woof! To make a racist statement as the first thing you say when you walk in there, like, you know what, I shouldn't even be eating with you guys. But you know what's interesting to me about that? That really gives us a window. Peter was racist. Peter was racist in a way, and I should probably be careful, we're not recording this, are we? <laughs> Mercy, delete. <laughs> But, but think about this. That was Peter who was the headlining preacher at Pentecost. Is it possible to be a racist and preach a message for God? Lord, have mercy on our church because brothers and sisters, we all have something to learn. I hope you're inspired by this message this morning. And I want to leave you with this one thought. I know I have three minutes left here. This one thought. When I was in paradise, I had a sweet little 80-year-old lady come up to me. And she said, I want to work for you. <laughs> and I said, do you, do you even know how to turn the computer on? <laughs> and she said, nah, don't worry about that. And I said, what are you going to do for me? She said, when do you start work? I said, 8 o'clock in the morning. I'll be there Monday morning, 8 o'clock. Okay. She shows up at 8 o'clock in the morning, this sweet little old church lady. And I'm like, you, you realize we work in a media ministry, right? She walked in the room and she went, y'all are a bunch of messy boys. <laughs> she started over in the corner of our studio, cleaned, labeled, took apart my vacuum cleaner, literally with a toothbrush. I could have eaten out of that vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and the Lord rebuked me. And I said, you know what? Here she has a beautiful ministry. She blessed us. She organized for us. And she did these wonderful things. You are not too old to get involved in ministry ever. 
keep that in mind. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for the way that you work with us, the way that you use us, even in our broken state. You don't ask us to come fixed to work for you. Lord, you use us in this broken state, and I thank you for that. Because it is by involving us in your work, Lord, that you are transforming our hearts. And so I pray for this group right here, Advent Hope, or anybody that is listening to this message, Lord, that you unify us. Do away with this critical criticism spirit that we have towards others, and may we see people the way that you see them. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.